Tracy was 24 years old and newly married when her mom was killed in a workplace accident. Tracy spent over a decade with deep pain, but has learned to take care of herself physically, spiritually, and mentally. If you are enjoying the podcast, can I ask you to please go to the show and leave a rating and review? Go to the show in whatever platform you are listening and scroll down to rating and review. I'd really appreciate it. And now, Tracy's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today, I have with me Tracy. Tracy and I met online. I recently uh, posted a uh, posted something on Instagram asking for people who would be willing to share their stories, and Tracy filled out the form. And um, so, we're meeting for the first time. I I, I usually don't do a whole lot of um, stalking of people before before recording the podcast because I want really want to hear it. Um, as the same time as the listeners do. So I do know a little from what Tracy filled out on the forum, but um, really appreciate you being here, Tracy, and being willing to share your story because I know it's being vulnerable is um, is difficult. It's hard to be, you know, to be honest and open um, with our feelings and with our stories, but, but we know that it's part of the healing process and that in turn, it can help others. So Really appreciate you being here. Like I normally do, I'm going to turn the mic over to you and let you share your story. And then I'll come back and we'll have a little conversation at the end. So, sure. Thanks, Beth, for having me. Thank you. So, my name is Tracy Fixon, and my mom passed away in 2007 from a tragic workplace accident. I was 24 years old. At the time, I was newly married. I was married only two months and, um, just like that, she was gone. It was November 26th of 2007. Um, I remember so many vivid details from that, from getting the call all the way through her death and, and beyond essentially. So up until that point, I mean, I was truly living probably what everyone would think would be a pretty normal, perfect American life. You know, I had, it was myself and my brother and a mom and dad, and we grew up in a small town and had great friends and family and found a, went to college, graduated in four years, met a, met a wonderful man with the same type of traditional family. (laughs) Um, And everything just was going along ideally in, in all, um, stereotypical ways. Right. And, um, I was, it was the day after Thanksgiving that year, November 23rd, and I had chosen to work that day. So I had Thanksgiving day off and I chose to work that day because it was kind of a fluff day. Like, why would you waste a vacation day that day? Um, because, no one really did a lot, but you got to come in and do all these things. And uh, we had a potluck that day at work. I can tell you exactly which Tupperware bowl I used. I can tell you that it was the first time I had used it since it was a wedding gift. I know exactly what sweater I was wearing that day. I remember that I didn't shower that morning because we were planning on meeting my parents that night um, for supper because we didn't meet them. We didn't go home for Thanksgiving because my husband and I live a couple hours away. So we didn't go home, um, which wasn't unusual. I mean, I rarely did because of, of work. 
So I remember all of these really, really crazy details about the day. Um, so again, she was in a workplace accident, which means, um, you know, it wasn't cancer. She wasn't sick. She wasn't in a car accident. And that's something now in 15 years removed. A lot of people don't know that. And people make assumptions when, when they found out my mom isn't alive, they just assume those things, you know, either an illness or, um, you know, if I say accident, they just assume car accident. And it was just such a weird freak thing um, that I didn't like, I don't like necessarily even sharing the details of it just because it's so weird. And like, sometimes I almost laugh when I tell it and people are horrified. So then I've always never given those details um, necessarily, but anyway, it was at work. Um, and so I was at work when I got the call from my dad that something had happened to my mom and I needed to come home right away. And I remember like I worked in a call center and we weren't supposed to even have our cell phones on or, or out. Um, cause again, this was 15 years ago. So rules were a lot different back then. Um, and, uh, I remember grabbing my phone to get a phone number of a coworker, even though I had the phone number memorized, or I could have looked it up like in our work database for whatever reason, I chose to grab my phone to get her number for someone rather than doing all these other things. And I still have her phone number memorized to this day, even though I don't even talk to her, this coworker anymore. Um, but again, all of these like really crazy details that I remember. And so I, for whatever reason, picked up my phone and it was ringing and it was my dad, which was unusual because usually my mom would be the one who would call and, you know, my mom would be the one checking in on me and for them to call midday was weird. So I stepped into the hallway to actually take the call, um, which normally I probably wouldn't have. And I did. And it was that she was in an act, this accident. And she needed that I, we needed to get home because she was being airlifted to, um, like the largest local or largest hospital. So, I mean, from that moment on, it was just a total blur. I remember running back in, grabbing my stuff. My boss happened to be meeting me as I was running out. And I just said, I'll call you later. Something happened. And uh, my husband and I threw a bunch of random things in a bag and we started driving. So essentially she was four hours away from where we lived and we needed to stop and pick up my dad on the way. And my brother was already on his way there because he was closer and we got there and she was unresponsive and on essentially on life support at that time. And that was three days, three or four days prior to everything. Um, you know, finalizing, I guess. And so they were going to try a few things to try to revive her. Um, so we, I remember that first night we um, spent the night in the hospital, even though it wasn't not, you know, they don't encourage that necessarily. So you're sleeping in wooden chairs and in a, in a facility that, you know, is loud and busy and, and doesn't really, you know, promote staying there. Um, so my dad and I stayed, my brother and my husband went back to my brothers and they tried some things and they, you know, basically the first night and the second night, they, you know, deemed the things that they tried unsuccessful and that it, you know, it wasn't going to, she wasn't going to make it. 
And my mom was an organ donor, which was very important to her. So then we had to go through the organ donation process. And, um, which is a very, very, to be, to experience that was very impactful to see how timely it is and how everything has to be just right. And that, um, you know, you might, just learning about it from that moment, you know, you might be an organ donor and really support it, but if something happens to you and you're too far, like the timing of getting those organs is just incredible. So we were fortunate in that way that she was able to fulfill that piece of something she had been passionate about. But that meant we essentially were on call because at that point had to start lining up any possible organ recipients. And it, again, it was all, everything had to be timed perfectly. So we just went to a local hotel and waited for this call. And I think we got a call that Monday morning at like five in the morning saying, okay, everything's lined up, get ready and come back over here. And we go back to the hospital and she's now like in an operating room. Um, we are, I felt like we went to the basement of this hospital. Like essentially we were in, we had to wait in this tiny, tiny office with no windows until she was prepped and ready. So we could go in and say goodbye when they took her off life support. And I remember walking into this room and everything was dark except for this light essentially on her. And she was covered up except like up to the chest, except for one arm was sitting out and then her face and like her shoulders, but everything else was covered because she was ready um, for the process. And we, I remember my dad just sat in a chair next to her. I was up by her face. My brother was next to me. And I remember like seeing the monitors in the distance. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw the monitor stop. And I knew that it was over and that we'd be rushed out of the room after that. So we had maybe 30 seconds after the monitor quit to say goodbye. And then that was it. We were taken out of the room because again, organ donation is so timely that, um, you know, they had to start operating right away to get what they could essentially. And uh, from that moment on, it was just like, we were zombies. Um, we went back to, you know, the parking garage or parking ramp. And I remember they had handed us a bag of her stuff, which was clothes that they had cut off of her. So it's not like it was even anything worth keeping, but you know, they gave it back to us. And I remember my dad had he had packed her a suitcase to take her home. So he had like stuff packed, anticipating that she'd get to come home with us. 
And the next weeks were just, I mean, I don't even know if I have any memories from those next weeks other than, um, you know, her funeral. They had to have her prayer service, like the viewing and everything at the church because we live in a small town, but there were so many people that came, over a thousand people came more than what was in the town at the time. Um, so they had to have it at the church just for space purposes. And I just remember there's, you know, out of a thousand people, there's like five faces that I remember coming through. And one was a classmate of mine who had lost her mom just two months prior. <laughs> one was a coworker of mine who came all that way, even though I hadn't invited him to my wedding two months prior and I felt so bad. <laughs> And then one was like our parents' good friends. And I don't, again, it's just so interesting to me how these like random vivid things are a part of that story. And so I went, I'm so blessed that I had the job that I did. They were so understanding. I was able to have extra time off. I was able to, you know, kind of take my time in getting back to work. And so I went back to work and it was a struggle to actually work. Like I was physically there, but I wasn't there. And then through that, one of my coworkers, or actually she was my boss at the time, she pulled me aside and she had shared her story of losing her sister, which I didn't know prior to this. And she said, sometimes you just have to get back into things. Like you have to just kind of push yourself into some normalcy. And so that's what I did in terms of work. And I just slowly started peeling it back. And she's like, no one here is going to make you feel bad or anything like that, which she was right. And um, then I had like a few months after that, I had my like yearly checkup. And of course, they ask you all these like mood related questions. And I was kind of like, how do I answer these? Because yes, I'm depressed. Yes, I have anxiety. Yes, I'm sad but I, I knew that they were all associated to grief. But of course, when you check, like, I didn't know if I even should check them off. And so it was a weird situation. And, you know, I meet with my provider and the only help I was given was a prescription for an antidepressant. And I didn't even bother filling it because I knew that wasn't really my issue. I knew that wasn't really the solution that I needed. And looking back now, I wish I would have pushed for help. <laughs> I wish I would have pushed for resources. I wish I would have asked more questions. Um, but I think when you're in such despair, you don't even know what to ask. And you don't even know where to go or who to call, or you maybe even can't make a phone call. And now I'm 15 years removed, realizing I need those resources. And to this day, I'm still like, I, I don't know if I can make that call yet, even though I know I need it. Um, so that's maybe even just a piece of encouragement I would give someone that like, if you can find a person to even make a call for you or just share how you're feeling, so someone can help be your voice. Because I think for me, my mom was that voice. 
she was my person. She was the only one I talked to every day. You know, I have great friends, but I'm not calling a girlfriend every day. I'm not calling my brother every day. I'm not calling my dad. I always called her every day after work. And I have many wonderful people in my life who I know have maybe tried to fill that void, but it's not the same. And I wouldn't, I don't want to put that on anybody else. But again, just encouragement for someone else. Like if you can find that person, even if that's the person you lost, like if you have someone who can help be your voice to get you to the resources that you need. I think that's a really important step. So you don't have to live decades with such deep pain. So, um, but through the loss, I've realized many things. And I was so young when it happened, just 24, and just really starting my own life. And having all these expectations on our marriage and our, and our life and, and all of these things that we were supposed to be doing and really not being in a great emotional state, my health, my health then started to suffer because I, I just really stopped taking care of myself. I drank too much caffeine. I took too much ibuprofen. I didn't eat enough. I drank too much, like all of these things. And over time, not right away, but over the next couple years, of these coping mechanisms, really now looking at it, and it's how I was coping, my health started to decline. And I was starting to doctor for migraines. I was gaining weight every single year. Like I was, even though my eating habits were atrocious and after her loss, I lost a lot of weight because just coffee and ibuprofen is not a good diet. Um, it started to catch up it started to catch up to me negatively. And I could tell um, just the stress in my body was just, just there. And so over the last 15 years, I have taken time very slowly. And it was probably five years. It was five years after her death in 2012, I was pregnant with our son. And that was the time where, you know, you start doctoring in a new way and you should be taking vitamins and you should be doing all these things. And so I didn't know, I mean, I was just doing my best, right? I was just doing what I could buy off of a shelf. I was just doing what I thought I could. And then by the grace of God, I was introduced um, to a company called Shackley and I switched my vitamins over and I am not a pill swallower, but I started taking these new vitamins, not really knowing anything. And it completely started changing my health mid-pregnancy within two weeks, I was feeling better. And, um, I just knew this was something and just the way that this was even brought into my life. It was literally, I believe God put it here for such a reason. And so I started very slowly switching things that I was doing. And it started with just the supplements I was taking. And it not only benefited me, but it also benefited my unborn baby because I now was feeling so much better. And then I started changing my breakfast habits and I was doing all of these things 
from a physical standpoint, I started working out, I started doing things physically and I would, I, I picked up running and I started running really for my mom. And every time running got hard, I would think of her and her life and all of the things that she went, not even her death, but her life and just the, the things that she worked so hard for in her life. And like, why wouldn't I live the best that I can with the time that I have? And so I started making those changes and I had my mind on her with every single mile I would run. And every time I try to go this one more light pole farther or one more minute longer, it was always for her. And that was just how my mind got wrapped around taking care of myself. Um, and that worked for a few years. Like that was a good bandaid. <laughs> um, it really was like, I physically started feeling better. I physically was taking care of myself and that was a good piece of it. Um, but then things just still weren't right. Things were still off. And, um, a good friend noticed how my faith, while I went to church and we did these things, I didn't have a deep faith. Um, my, my spiritual life was basically non-existent and it wasn't like I was ever mad at God because my mom had such enormous faith and she taught us to pray. And she taught us to, that he, she, she taught us that you're going to go through hard things at life and that God is always there. Like she always taught us that. I don't know if she maybe knew that our hardest thing was going to be without her. Um, but that's what was so ingrained in us. And I never, I never got angry with God. I just maybe didn't know that I should be leaning on him through that pain either, though. I never thought that that was, I didn't understand the complexity and this beautiful relationship we have with, with God, our father. And I didn't, I didn't get that depth until a friend noticed how I was doing all these things physically, but yet I was still kind of a shell of a person emotionally. And she's like, you need to open your Bible. And I was like, I don't have a Bible. <laughs> I'm like, I don't have one. I've never, I was never, I grew up in a church, but we were never, it wasn't a, a Bible church, right? It was, it was different. So I ordered a Bible off of Amazon <laughs> and that was 2014. So that was seven years into the loss of, of my mom and um, got my first Bible and that was my next catalyst into changing myself spiritually and healing spiritually because there were a lot of things going on in my, you know, living relationships with my brother and my dad and my husband. And now my son, I was kind of angry with God. Like you took the one woman in my life and now I have these four men in my life. I was like, this is not fair. <laughs> so I was a little, I was a little upset with that avenue of it because I lost this like femininity in my life. And I didn't, other than my friends, which again are wonderful. It just, there was something really missing there. Um, so I kind of took all that to him and I, and I, um, you know, as my brother and my dad were moving on at a different pace, and at their own paces, I should say, not a different pace, but their own paces. And I was kind of the one trailing behind or perceived to be trailing behind. And um, that was a struggle. And I prayed so hard over it. I prayed so hard over 
all of it. And I vividly, I mean, it was literally God was talking to me. <laughs> I mean, he could not make it any clearer. <laughs> um, but he was saying, just let go. And I would, I would fight him. I would like in this prayer, I mean, it was like God and I were having a conversation and I would say, I can't, like, I can't just let go because if I let go, it's really over because I felt like everyone else moved on a little faster, whether they really did or not, because I can't really speak for them. Um, but I thought if I let go, like, and it was probably because I had a child and like my brother doesn't have any children. So, I, you know, if I don't preserve this memory, like then she's really gone and she won't be a part of anything, which just wasn't true. <laughs> and God was right. Like I just needed to let some things go. And so it came to a point um, where my dad was getting remarried, which that's all fine. Like that's not an issue with anything. But that just let go was still very loud, but I knew I couldn't do it. So I remember emailing my friends and just saying, I need you to pray for me. Like, I need you to pray that I just am obedient to God in this situation because I know what I need to do. I just can't do it. And it was the first time I invited people into that space. It was the first time I allowed people to really be specific in my pain. And I will remember like that, his, his wedding day and how there was just this peace over me that could not have been anything but God, an intercession of prayer. And I wouldn't have known or realized any of that if I didn't have a friend who told me years prior to like, you need to get work on this. <laughs> you need to work on this avenue in your life. And so um, that was about, I don't even know what year that was. Um, and so that was really like the spiritual aspect of my healing and my journey. And now I feel like my most recent has been like the mental piece of it. So she's been gone for 15 years and I have kind of broken down. I mean, this is just how it's been happening for me. It's like my revival has been, um, first physical and then spiritual and now mental. And I feel like my mental health is where, um, you know, 15 years ago when I went to that doctor and she just gave me some antidepressants, like, you know, everything it, everything in his timing. Right. So even though I wish that answer would have been different 15 years ago, I do feel like everything divinely works out the way it's supposed to, including our healing, including our journey and our pace is our own. And so everyone around us may have lost the same person. She wasn't the same person to all of us. And so for us, we have to just do it our own way, which means maybe maybe distancing yourself sometimes and standing up for yourself and advocating for yourself and maybe making others a little mad along the way <laughs> and maybe being okay with that because it is for your own healing and own journey only. Um, so most recently now I've been working on taking my physical wellness a little bit deeper um, and, and also, um, you know, just understanding 
as I'm getting older and not having her to kind of be like, well, when did you go through menopause or like all of those questions that now I'm almost 40 and I'm thinking about, and I don't really have that person again to ask. So I, I have to be my own advocate and my, my own voice, um, to really understand because I, I want to live my years, years as healthy as I can because we truly don't know how many we have. And my mom was 51. And so for a long time, I put pressure on myself that I better make a ton of money now. I better retire early. I better do all of these things because to me, life ended at 51. And now that I'm getting closer to it, (laughs) I'm realizing that's not my story. That was her story. And that's not necessarily mine. And I think that's part of the mental piece that I'm working through now is just understanding I can let go of the pressures that I'm putting on myself to achieve certain things or be at a certain status or all of these kind of silly worldly things that we put on ourselves. Um, so I think that's it. I think that's kind of where I am to this date and just letting, I love how you said, I think I can't remember if it was on here, the prayer we said, you said before we started Beth, but Jesus wept. Mm-hmm. And how often do we just not let ourselves cry? Like I'm sitting here bawling and I don't know you or anyone that's going to listen to this. <laughs> and I lived an entire life of being told, you know, not to cry and toughen up. And I just think that we just need to allow space for that. And I haven't always been good with that with other people. And that's what I want to work on next. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, what a progression. Your intentionality with your, with your revival is really um, remarkable. Um, What a great, what great amount of work um, that you've put into uh, your own personal journey. And you're right, her story is not your story, but I mean, as daughters and, you know, without much other feminine influence, that's what we do. You know, that's what we relate to. That's what we connect to. And it is just so the person, the one person that you would talk to about all these things is the one that's gone. You know, it is so hard. It is so hard to, nobody will ever fill those shoes, you know, and thinking about, and you were 24, my niece was 24 when my sister died. It's like thinking about you know, everybody, like you said, everybody's grief is different. Everybody's journal journey is different. I was 13 when I lost my mom. I almost felt not almost, I felt worse for my niece because she had that longevity with my sister. Do you know what I mean? Like I hadn't gotten to the point where I had developed my mom and I got along fine, but I hadn't developed that almost codependency relationship, dependency relationship, which, you know, is, is sometimes good and sometimes bad, but, um, you know, when you're so close, you say you talk to your mom every day and then all of a sudden that resource is gone and oof, it is, it is so, yeah. so, so tough. Um, and yeah, we do and need I, to share resources like my goodness. Mm-hmm. And I think um, for me too, like, you know, I went through that teenage phase where I was such a anti-parental figure and I went through it hard where I shut that out and I was just kind of getting to that sweet spot of reconnection and like of what this was going to be 
and like what I get to see in others. And I see my, you know, my friends who have their moms and, and things like that now. So yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And to anybody that's listening, every woman that I've interviewed on here that, that went through a teenage relationship with their mom, I would say 99% of us, we were not necessarily nice daughters at that time. So we're going to go with Tracy's theme of letting it go. And we need to let that go because we were, that's what teenagers do. That's mm-hmm. what teenagers do. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's what my sister was at that stage when my mom, when our mom died. And so I know she felt a lot of guilt and things because they were, you know, mm-hmm. budding. she was 16. Mm-hmm. Prime time for, you know, <laughs> being the rebellious kid. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, but that, but getting to that sweet spot and then having that taken away is, is a huge, you know, my thing is that we all, we're all walking around with a mom size hole in our heart mm-hmm. and nothing's ever going to fix that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. even though we try, you know, you talked about your unhealthy coping mechanisms of, you know, what you try to fill that hole with and there, it, yeah, it's always going to be there, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, but the one, I mean, I, I totally agree with your learning how to lean on God. Um, mm-hmm. it was interesting when you said you weren't angry at him, but you were not leaning on him. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and hallelujah for that friend who mm-hmm. encouraged you to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, very much. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. So do you want to share a little bit? I know because we talked before we started recording, like some, what you're doing now, like you have a mm-hmm. kind of wellness thing for women sure. that you're doing. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Thank you. So very similar to my own journey and experiences. Um, I now just simply share those tools with, um, really women, men, people, families, um, anyone who is looking for that thing in their lives um, that just might be need a little help. Um, So like I said, I share um, or I switched over to Shackley supplements. And that's something that I share with um, with people to help get that baseline nutrition through a solid company that's been around as long as my mom would have been, um, for now 66 years. Um, and that is just something that I'm super passionate about because it was like, it's almost like the low hanging fruit in all of this, right? Hmm. It's something where that's the one thing that I can tangibly grab and put into my body. And I know it's helping my body, right? That's the quick, easy, easy one. And I think that's why that was the one for me too, is because that was something that you could just, you know, take and you'd feel better and you feel a result. Um, so that's kind of step one. And then, um, through my spiritual journey, I've really been a voice for encouraging people to get in their Bible. So basically taking that same encouragement that people have given me and saying, okay, if you're feeling like crap beyond the physical, our, how's your spiritual health? And I do all of this on my Instagram essentially is where my business is housed. And, um, so I just do encouragement on spiritual health and I don't know what God has in store for people. I don't know how they're, he's going to work in their lives, but I do know if they lean into him, like we said, it's going to be good things and it's going to be great things because his timing is perfect. His way is perfect. 
And that is just the one thing that if I can encourage people to deepen their faith, that is just, I mean, I feel like that's what it's really all about is just helping people walk closer to the Lord. So then there's that aspect of it. Um, I also became a certified yoga instructor and I teach faith-based yoga classes. So everything, um, like I read scripture in my classes, I, you know, play praise music and things like that. And that's not something, um, I became certified in that in 2021, but that's just another offering that kind of goes with the physical piece of it as well. So that's, that's what I offer people is, um, just kind of, if you're looking for that revival or like some of that support and those steps that, um, helped me. And I, I can't guarantee where it's going to go for you, but I can guarantee like they're really solid starting places. If you are, if you're looking to, um, make some changes and, and really it's about acknowledging that you're on a journey that needs help and you're already doing all these things and you just want to take some things to catapult it to the next level. Um, and, you know, that's just kind of what I share. And that's what I, and I talk about grief on my Instagram as well. Um, like I'm never afraid to share, like, especially during the holidays, since my mom died around Thanksgiving, usually Thanksgiving to new year's is a big time frame where I will share about grief. So I don't talk about it a lot during the year, but every year during that time frame is when I hit it home because, you know, you're pulling out Christmas decorations that make you think of them and, or there's traditions that are changing because they're not there. And there's a lot of just hard stuff, or maybe you have too much anxiety to participate in, in things. And it's just a space to know you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is that, is that, if I, I'll, link all this stuff in the show notes. It, mm-hmm. Is it public? Your Instagram? Yes. Yes. Okay. So we will put yep. um, Tracy's handle in the show notes so that you guys can find her and all the things you have to offer. Um, and the one thing, if anybody's listening and this whole God thing is making you, you know, making you cringe a little bit, I would encourage people to think about where, where that um, negative relationship was coming from because mm-hmm. I was mad at God for about 20 years because my mm-hmm. grandparents were the only Christians really examples that I had. And they threw us out of their house while my mom was mm-hmm. dying. So I would encourage you to like be real honest about where is that negative connection coming from and decide whether you're holding God responsible for somebody else's actions Mm. Or if it's something that, you know, was directly a result of your relationship with him, because the first thing you have to do is let go of that um, wall. If there is Mm -hmm. a wall there, question it, think about it, pray about it, talk about it, and consider that maybe it wasn't actually an action that came from God, but from somebody else that you're holding God responsible for. So Mm -hmm. absolutely. Yes. Mm. So I usually wrap up if you have a final tip or takeaway or something that you'd like to share with the group audience. Yeah, I guess I would just say that grief has its own pace for everyone and you're not grieving too fast or too slow. You don't have to feel the same feelings as the people around you and really just know that that's okay. Like you're not even though you might feel alone because the people around you don't understand 
where you're at, you're truly not alone. Like there are people who are, who can maybe relate to your story somewhere and communities like this and podcasts like this are just such a wonderful way to connect with people who have similar stories to you because they might understand and be that support a little bit more and um, just take care of yourself. Like do the things, even though it's hard, even though you might cry, it's okay to cry. (laughs) It is okay to cry. It is okay to learn to be your own best advocate, like you said, and to learn how to say no. And sometimes maybe that will, like you said, make some people, you know, not happy, but um, you do have to, you know, figure out what's best for your journey because Mm -hmm. you're the one you have to live with through the rest of this journey without Mm -hmm. our people. So, yep. 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 You've got to figure out how to do that. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you so much, Beth. You're welcome. If you liked this episode or you are a fan of the show, the best way to support it is to share it on social media and with your family and friends. For more of my thoughts on the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. As always, remember, we can use grace, grit, and gratitude to grow with our grief.